I'm going to get into a subject with you this evening. The subject is suffering. And this is a subject you either have to get into or you don't get into it. You have to get you have to go into this with both feet, both arms, and our eyes wide open, or you just don't study it at all. So we're going to look at this. Begin to look at this together this evening. When I was a teenager, I worked at a service station, a gas station. One of the most enjoyable jobs I ever had. I just loved it. We got to pump gas for people, check their oil, and especially we got to run them through the car wash. And uh, it was just part of a glorious day. We got to meet a lot of people. The one downer on the job is every Tuesday night we had to clean out the pit. The pit, the little ditch underneath the car wash, all that grime and dirt piled up and it had to be cleaned out every week. And uh, that wasn't the most pleasant thing. But to clean out that ditch, that you, you, couldn't, you couldn't wear your school clothes to do that. You had to get in there with, with both feet and shovel and wheelbarrow. There was no other way of doing it. And so I'm reminded of that when I think about suffering. You've got to get into it. With, with your right side of your brain and your left side of the brain and all your heart. But it's a wonderful study. It really is a wonderful uh, study. Jesus tells us in John 16.33, In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. But there is that tribulation. There is that tribulation. Turn with me to Romans 8 for just a second. Notice some good news and bad news. Romans 8. Seventeen. We are children of God. Romans eight sixteen. Romans eight seventeen. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God. And we are joint heirs with Christ. That's great. That's wonderful news. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. There is the reality of suffering. Jesus said we'll have tribulation. If we're going to be children of God, we will suffer. There are various forms of suffering, and I don't really want to get into that this evening. We all understand the different directions in which suffering comes. I want us to... Really think seriously about being a bright light even though we're suffering. Now, I, can, I will bring you, I could have brought it tonight. I have a nice pretty outline on suffering. It's got, it's got, it rhymes almost. It, it has the same letters on one column and the same letters on another column. But, and I'll bring that. Now, it's a good skeleton ideal of the ideals that go into suffering, but I really want you to take this for yourself. I want you to look at passages and think about things that you can really internalize, not just, not just think about it as a, as a lesson uh, from God's Word from one person on one night. Okay. Now, we cannot know everything there is to know about suffering in the mind of God. We can't do that, but the Bible does provide some answers. 
Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we're thankful to have that knowledge. But to think that we're going to know everything there is to know about suffering or the mind of God is, um, is, is just not reality. Okay. But we can know some things. We can know some things. My goal is for us to, to tackle suffering in a godly manner, not just survive. If you look around, a lot of people survive suffering in the world. A lot of people that don't really put God first in their life, they survive, so they get by. You know, we're not just looking to get by. We're looking to handle this and tackle this in a godly way. That, that's our goal. You're familiar with House to House, Heart to Heart, and the paper and the, and the website. A lady wrote into them several years ago. There had been, you know, there were rumors of war, countries in kind of a, um, a threat of war, and there had been some natural disasters. Okay? It seemed like there had been some killings lately. And so she wrote in and said, why don't we just all boycott God? Let's just boycott. Let's just stop praying to him. Let's stop worshiping him. Let's stop reading his word. Let's just boycott God and see if things will just get better. Just tell God that we're ready for him to start handling some of these things. Well, of course, that doesn't, that's, that's not even near the, the um, approach that the scripture has. In fact, it really is not profitable to debate whether or not there should be suffering and evil and God at the same time, because we don't know anything different. We don't, we don't know of any other existence than what is, what is presented to us in Scripture and in our experience in life. There is no other way of looking at God away from evil and suffering. It's always been here. And so we just, we just get into it, and we just study it and see what God has uh, to say about it. By the way... Lewis said something. He said, you can no more diminish the glory of God by refusing to worship than a child can put out the sun by writing the word darkness on the wall. And that about sums it up pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, you might as well try to put out the sun by writing the word darkness as you would to be able to diminish the glory of God by just refusing to serve God and trying to show him not going to happen. God is great. God is great. And that's where we start. God is great. Period. And so, I want us to look at um, a few questions and um, four or five of these questions. And I want to hear you uh, talk about some of this. Okay? Because not only... Um, is this a good discussion? But it's a good discussion because many of you have put a lot of thought into this as well. Okay. All right. So first question is, and these are questions that will help us to handle suffering in a godly manner. In a godly manner. The first question is this. Uh, do I really believe in eternity? Do I really believe in the reality, to he reality of heaven? as we discussed this past Sunday morning, 
Do I really believe in the reality of heaven? Do I really believe that on judgment day God is going to make all things right and proper? Now tell me, how does that fit into the existence of suffering in this world? Why is that? Why is that important? Why is the reality of uh, eternity uh, important in this discussion? Ken says, if we really believe in eternity and what God says about heaven and judgment, then uh, there's really nothing we can't overcome. Do you agree with that? Now, notice in Romans 2, if you're still in Romans, what Paul says about judgment day. Particularly verse 5. He says, And after thy hardness and impenitent heart, you treasure up for thyself wrath in the day of wrath and in the day of the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The day of judgment is a righteous judgment of God. Revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So we believe all things will be made right then. Whatever right is in the sight of God. Now, it is very true that as we think of suffering and, and experience suffering and then try to help someone else in their suffering, that we should talk about how that it can help us grow spiritually. It can help, our, it can help us be a better person. There's no doubt about that. Okay. But when it, when it comes to death, then eternity looms large. Eternity is very important, especially, you know, it's one thing to have someone who's sickly. It's another thing that someone actually um, passes over, someone dies. Okay. And that's a whole new mindset that one deals with when that happens. What do you say then? The hope of eternity is huge when, you come, when it comes to death. What do you say to a 16-year-old whose dad has just died? That, that was our experience when we lived in Jackson, Tennessee before we moved here to North Alabama. We were in Jackson, Tennessee and congregation of about 500 people and there were two of us preachers. And so one of our deacons passed away in the middle of the night and his daughter, Lauren, 16-year-old, was in our youth group very active with us. Her dad was a deacon at church and he had his own uh, floor business. He laid tile. And there was a Christian school in town, Jackson Christian School, conducted by the Churches of Christ. And, and I remember that he would always do their flooring and he would never charge the school anything. Just a very good man. The kind of guy you'd want to be around. And so in the middle of the night, we get that call and we go over there and and um, I didn't live far from them so I got there before anybody else did. And so what do you say? So it had been very hard to discuss things that night had it not been for the reality of eternity. Because there was his 16-year-old and there's 
There was his wife there. And then there was our brother lying on the living room floor. He died of an apparent uh, aneurysm. And so, so yeah, I'm there that night, and, and um, the mother looks at me and says, you need to run down. Freed Hardeman University is about 40 minutes away from where we live. She says, you need to run down and pick up our other daughter. Their other daughter was a student at Freed. And so there I go in the middle of the night, and, um, you know, that's, um, that's something. And you have to go and wake up the dorm parents, and everything is, is dark. And then, of course, when, when she comes out, the daughter comes out, she knows right away something bad is wrong. And so she asked me this question. She says, well, what advice do you have for me now? You know, she's figured out by the time she gets in the car with me that her dad has passed away. And she says, what advice do you have for me now? Of course, I probably handled that just terribly, but I tried to mutter out something like, well, this world is not our home, and you need to go and be with your mother right now and help her. That's all I, I need to get out. But eternity looms large when it comes to the discussion of suffering. If we don't have God's word and God's love in regard to heaven up above, then we're in a fix, a bad fix. But thankfully, we, thankfully uh, we do have that. So when we read about, like we were reading this past Sunday, about how the heaven is a city, bright city, and that heaven is a better country, aren't we thankful for that? Aren't we thankful to know it's going to be a grand reunion, a grand assembly? Aren't we thankful that it's a paradise garden? Aren't we thankful that we can be in the house of God forever and ever? And so that's one thought I have, is how important heaven is, eternity is, judgment is, because not all things are made right on this earth. Not, not everything is fair uh, in this life. And James 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Various trials. And there's a lot of them. Life is sometimes hard. So any further, what do you think, any further thoughts on the idea of, of suffering and eternity? And how that helps or maybe it doesn't help. So you think, another, you think your thoughts could go to the rich man and Lazarus? And there were some reverse roles there. Okay, how the rich man fared nice every day, but then when he, when he died, it wasn't so good. And then swapped for Lazarus, who was very poor and laid at the gate. Okay. All right. Well, you can come, you know, I'm going to move on to these questions, but feel free to bounce back and forth uh, in these ideas. But I really want to hear what you... Um, have to say. Second question is this. Do I believe that God knows what he's doing? This ties into suffering too. Do, do I really believe that God knows what he's doing? Do you believe that God knows what he's doing? Do you believe that God has a hand in life 
Do you believe that God is in control? Do you believe that He is doing a good job? Do you know? Do you think that He lets things just bounce out of control, or do you do you believe with all your heart that He knows what He's doing and that we can rely upon Him? Ken says he's creator, he is in control, it's a good thing because we don't have the answers. We don't know um, how to direct things. And that's so, that's so correct. Abraham asks in Genesis 18.25, Shall not the judge of, of all the earth do right? Abraham believed that God knows what he's doing. And let's do some reading on this. Isaiah 40 is an excellent chapter to, to look at some of this and to remember who he is versus who we are. So if you look at Isaiah 40 beginning in verse 12, notice these questions about the knowledge of God and what he has accomplished. So read with me Isaiah 40 beginning in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who has meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Who is being his counselor? Who has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? Who has instructed him? Who has taught him in the path of justice? Who has taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are accounted as small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and vanity. To whom then will ye liken God, or what likeness will you compare unto him? The image a workman has cast it, and the goldsmith overlays it with gold, and cast, cast for it silver chains. He that is too impoverished for such an oblation chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks unto him a skilled workman to set up a graven image that shall not be moved. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not uh, been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sits above the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in, that brings princes to nothing, that makes the judges of the earth as vanity, yea, they have not been planted, yea, they have not been sown, yea, their stock have not, has not taken root in the earth. Moreover, he blows upon them and they wither, and the whirlwind takes them away as stubble, 
To whom then will you liken me that I should be equal to him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by name, by the greatness of his might and for that he is strong in power, not one is lacking. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and justice is due to me? Is, the justice due to me is passed away from my God. Hast thou not heard? Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he faints not, neither is he weary, and there is no searching of his understanding. We'll stop right there. Over and over again, the power and knowledge of God before the nations, the nations are just like a drop in the bucket. They're just as dust. He can take them away just like a whirlwind. Okay. Just as we saw the snow come in yesterday and now it's gone, just that fast God can take a mountain or a nation and move it in and move it out. So does this tell us that God knows what he's doing? Let's read a shorter passage from Romans 11. Right quick, Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. Romans 11, beginning in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, and His ways are past tracing out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Or who has first given to Him? And it shall be recompensed unto Him again. For of Him and through Him and unto Him are all things to Him be glory forever and ever. And so, there are many passages like this, both in Old Testament and New Testament. But God is pictured as someone much more powerful and much more knowledgeable, and it's not even close. We're as speck on the dust of the earth compared to God's glory and knowledge. So, do I believe that God knows what He's doing? when you believe that he is, Ken said, the creator, he brought all of this here, everything that we see and experience, then we really don't have any doubts as to the fact that he can create another world, a much better world, as he has promised. And that he can control things and that we can put our trust in him. Is he worthy of our trust? I guess is the companion question to, do I believe that he knows what he's doing? Is he worthy of our trust? Okay. So, what about this ideal in regard to suffering? What needs to be further said in regard to suffering with the ideal of the knowledge of God? Don't have to combine those two questions that you were discussing there. I believe God knows what he's doing. If I try to answer that with just what goes on in this world, I may not come up with the right answer. But if I know there is an eternity and that, that he's working all this out, it might not work out in this life, but it might work out in eternity. Okay. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good and love God all according to his purpose. The mean everything's good is going to happen. But if I've got his 
in mind then it all may work together for my salvation in the end because that's my ultimate good. Okay. All right. God doesn't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. And when you started listening to about the lady who had written in, and you know, she woke up and not worship, we should not pray. Yeah. Yeah, Brent saying that lady writing in saying let's boycott, well they boycotted in Noah's day and and notice notice what happened there. Right. God cannot lie and he can't he does not change. So that makes him trustworthy right there. Okay, the fact that Titus one verse two says that uh, the promise of eternal life Paul says, we're, we're, I'm writing this in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. He cannot lie. It's impossible for him to do that. So there's, there are plenty of reasons that we can bank on him and put our trust in him. And examples like Noah is one, and the fact that God cannot lie is another. The promises of God, like Romans 8, 28, is... Um, Precious to us, but um, and it is important to put all this together. That's why that's why we're mentioning these questions is not separately but together. Eternity plus the fact that God is in control. So. we get comfortable, Brent, saying, in our lives, then that's when we forget God. God, we need Him desperately. He doesn't need us. So the way of man, Jeremiah 10, 23 says, uh, the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. So when we have that idea, we can deal with suffering in a, in a greater way. Not easy. Doesn't mean it's easy, but at least we can put a few things together. So here's a third uh, question. Is God worthy of our devotion and worship regardless of what's happening in our lives? Is God worthy of devotion, reverence, and worship regardless of what's going on in our lives? This is really the question of the book of Job, isn't it? You know the story of Job. He lost, lost his family, lost his resources, his, his wealth, he lost his health. Okay. But here's Job 1 verse 10. Satan's argument to God was, Sure, Job is serving you because you have built a hedge about him. And that, of course he's going to serve you. You've blessed him tremendously. You take all this away, he will curse you to, his, to your face. That, that was Satan's whole argument. And Job was sort of God's trophy. Display to the world. God said, okay, let's do this, Satan. Let's just take your challenge. And I believe Job's going to stand strong. And he did. And he did. Job believed that God was worthy of devotion and worship 
just on who God is. Even if there were no blessings. Bonnie's saying, if we don't have God, who do we have to lean on? He's our shepherd, we're his, his sheep. You're right. Psalm 18, verse 3. I will, call upon the world, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. The biblical writers believe God was worthy just because of who he is. Who he is. Nothing else. I believe Paul believed this. You remember what Paul and Silas were doing at midnight, Acts 16.25? Their freedom had been taken away. They had been beaten. And they had been doing good. The very best thing you could do is preaching the gospel and, and giving your life to that. And, and uh, they had been doing that. And God was with them. But they were rendering praise to God. It had to be they believed that God is worthy regardless of what's going on with circumstances of life. Let me um, direct your attention to the book of Habakkuk, minor prophet Habakkuk. We're reminded of some words that he says. He was trying to figure out what God was doing. He couldn't understand some of the things that God was doing against his nation, especially in the fact that God would use a nation like Babylon to punish his own nation. And he had to figure all that out. But he, he worked through it. Notice what he said in Habakkuk 3, 17, 18. For though the fig tree shall not flourish, neither shall fruit be in the vines. Uh, even if the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no food, even if the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord, Jehovah, is my strength. He makes my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon the high places. So the one important is the one up at the throne in heaven. We are less important than him. What we're going through is less important than who God is. And what God develops on the inside of us is more important than what's going on on the outside in the outside world. That's not to say that God is not concerning. We know he loves us and cares for us. But we need to keep in mind that indeed he is worthy. And that's how the biblical examples, that's how the Bible characters, Bible writers approach this whole subject. God is worthy no matter what. Certainly, part of it today. But what, what if we look at it like, okay, he blesses everyone, right? Everyone, good, bad, doesn't matter. Does that not make him worthy 
because we don't deserve to be blessed, but he does it for every single person he loves. Just bless him. Yeah, no, that's part of who he is, is that he blesses. We can't think of God without thinking, uh, like James 1, 5 says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives. The God who gives is the God of the Bible. He is giving God, loving God, just God, holy God. He is all that we know about him, he is. He doesn't give because we're deserving. He gives because he's God. He gives because he's God. That's right. So we're thinking of suffering and approaching it in a godly way. Okay. So eternity looms large. But so does the knowledge of God and the power of God. It looms large. But also, as we get closer home, do I worship, am I devoted to him no matter what happens in life? No matter what happens. I will still praise him. So that that enters into the picture. And the next one is just like this. Do I believe that my life is to glorify God regardless of what's happening? Even in the tough times. Do I believe I should be glorifying God, which basically means reaching out for him even during tough times, especially during tough times. Is he worthy of the glory? Let's turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1 for just a second. How about somebody reading for us verses 6 through 8 of 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1. If you're going to, if you're going to read, read pretty loud for us. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 8. Of course, the first Peter is a good book to read when you're thinking about suffering. Uh, and so, how about somebody reading verses 6 through 8? In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genius, genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Okay. So notice, even though passing through the fire of trials, yet the goal is to bring praise, glory, and honor really at the second coming of Jesus, at the revelation of Jesus, whom we have not seen, yet not having seen, yet we still love. And we look forward to a time of joy, unspeakable joy. One of my favorite statements is from the three Hebrews of Daniel chapter 3, when um, they... Well, tell me the story on... Three Hebrews. What did they refuse to do? Bow down. Bow down to what? Yeah. Bow down to the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, I like that too. He said, it don't matter how high 
Right. Notice um, Daniel three sixteen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to, del- to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve your God, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. I believe those words, if, but if not, are some of the most powerful words in all scripture. But if not. We believe he's going to deliver us from this. But, you know, they're confessing. We don't know it all. Just like we are tonight. We don't know everything that God's going to do. We don't know how things are going to go today, tomorrow. But, here's what you can know, King. We're not going to serve. We're not going to forsake our God. He's going to get the service. He's going to get the glory. Okay. He's going, he has us no matter what. No matter what. So, do I believe that my purpose is to glorify God no matter what? No matter what the circumstances are showing. Going back to Romans eight twenty-eight. Also remember verse 29, God's ultimate purpose in bringing us through trials is that we will be conformed to the image of His Son, to be made like unto Him. Paul was in prison and and he was um, writing these letters of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon from prison. We read in Philippians 4.23 of saints being in Caesar's household. Somebody there, some Christian, probably Paul, probably Paul's friends coming in to visit, somebody had been talking about Christ in the midst of that prison situation. There's no other way for saints to be in Caesar's household other than the Christians spoke up about Christ. And that's what we're talking about here, this thought number four, am I willing to determine in my mind, have I made the decision that no matter what's going on on the outside, I'm going to glorify God, which basically means, you know, to let my light shine, to share His goodness. I'm going to let that be done no matter what. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and he he reminded them not to be so concerned about where he was at because he had discovered that his being in prison had created a situation where the Christians in Rome were much more bold to speak about Christ than they had been before. So he could look and see the wisdom of God in keeping him in prison, at least on that occasion, in Rome. And so he said others have become bold because of his presence there. And he just kept on talking about Christ even though he was in, in prison. And so these thoughts can help us perhaps handle suffering in a godly way. We want to please God no matter what it is that we are facing. Thank you for your good comments this evening.